0: Hello, and welcome to Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. Today, I'm going to switch it up a little bit and do a different type of episode. I actually have Chef Jeremy Sicardi here with me, and we worked together back in 2014 when I was a pastry chef at the Parker Palm Springs Hotel. Chef, we call each other chef, he was the sous chef at the Parker Palm Springs. I live in Aspen and he was visiting Aspen for work and we happened to have an idea to do this interview. So hopefully we can talk about some interesting chef related things. So welcome, chef.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's um really nice to be here in Aspen my first time and obviously you know, I was already aware that you had jumped into this uh, venture, so I'm happy to support you directly. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: thank you so much. He's coming from Palm Desert, and not La really Quinta. La Quinta. So he's not really used Same to Quinta. the Arctic temperatures that yeah, we have.
1: I'm choosing not to get used to them.
0: <laughs> we worked together back in 2014, and you were the sous chef Best. there. I'm sorry. He was the executive <laughs> <stew> chef.
1: <laughs> you know those things matter.
0: Yes. Well, I was the executive pastry chef. As
1: you were. Yeah. We all learned.
0: <clears throat> I don't want to diminish any titles here because being in the kitchen is such a process. To get your title, it's quite a
1: long road. It uh, can be. I've certainly met a lot of chefs in my many, many years in the industry that had the beautiful uh, insignia on their coats, and you, but you wondered how it got there. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd like to think none of my contemporaries that I've worked with or met or mentored would feel that way about me. But who knows, right? Who knows?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. You know, we've stayed in contact the last 10 years. I mean, yeah, nine. on and off. Uh, yeah. 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 Basically, what I want to jump to is Chef has his own business. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? You started it a year and a half ago?
1: Yeah, so there's you know a bit of backstory. I've been in this industry 25 plus years. It's the only skill set that I have that... <laughs> That's worth mentioning, right? I had worked, you know, my way up to the title. I had run various restaurants. I would opened various restaurants. I had was the executive chef of hotels. You know, I'd, I was lucky enough to work with some very talented people, both in, in Michelin star places and, and places that you'd never even heard of. Again, stepping half a step back to chefs that have a name on their coats that shouldn't. You know, there's there's chefs that I've worked with who no one will ever know their name, but they are absolutely just wonderful people and incredibly talented, right? So it goes both ways in that regard. About 25 years in the industry, and obviously the whole world went sideways about three years ago and at that time i was the corporate chef for this restaurant group in the palm springs area everything was closed and we were back and forth and you know that went on for for quite a while especially out in in california and um it was suggested to me actually after a while of this even the if and when of, of uh, getting completely back into the flow at that point, I wasn't even sure if if that's where I was really feeling committed, right? So it was suggested to me by a friend, like, why don't you just start your own thing? I never felt myself to be an entrepreneur. I had a lot of friends that are, were, and um, I always kind of envied that mentality, that gumption. I was always kind of the, you know, happy to work for somebody else as long as I was appreciated, right? And there's lots of tangent stories that we can get into with that, but we won't.
0: I understand that, because I have the same issues. <laughs> so,
1: so when that was suggested, it was kind of a lightning bolt moment for me. And when, once I dove into the process, I just became so excited and enlivened um, and activated by it that, uh, you know, within a month, I had created my own website, you know, I had some friends with some uh, you know, creative ability on the computer, help me design my logo, And obviously the name of the business and just kind of flesh all those things out and and develop a you know the motto or or what have you
0: well let's talk about the name so the name of your company is Bon Mez
1: correct Bon Mez two words
0: so it's M-E-E-Z
1: correct but it's spelled a little funky right so technically M-E-E-Z is not a word so Mez right and and those of you uh, listening in the industry are well aware of, of this. Uh, you know, mise is, is a reference to mise en place, um, which in the kitchen is a reference to everything that you need for your particular station, right? So,
0: Right, to prep. Um, yeah.
1: Slang in the kitchen would be, you know, me asking a cook, is your mise good? You know, are you ready for service, so to speak, right? So that's the reference there. And then bon is, you know, good in French. Right? Yeah. Um, but it was there's more to it than that. You know, I sat with this for half a day I'm not sure you know how that relates to other people and the names that they came up with for their companies but about half a day because I wanted something two two syllables I felt like the pace of that was good I wanted something that both felt kind of masculine and feminine as far as like the letters and the sound structure you know obviously there's the food reference and then also Bomese is similar to a, a bomb me as far as the sound of it right and the, the Vietnamese sandwich which Oh. Many people have, and and so so when you hear that sound, you know Balmese, it's like oh, there's a familiarity to it.
0: That's you know. why you did it, because yeah, well, sandwich? there's
1: all of those layers, yeah, We're oh. kind of like part of the reason why I settled on Balmese.
0: I love Balinese. Yeah, who doesn't love Balmese? <laughs> like, so. okay, so for the past year and a half, you've had your own company.
1: Yeah, closing on two years actually
0: so tell me about what is it <clears throat> that you do in the company
1: so it's evolved like any you know startup does so to speak right but the the initial impetus is the same the idea was to firsthand create you know beautiful memories around food with people right as, as simple as that it was a way for me to combine my two mentalities in a way my two lives even if we were to take it that far because kitchen life is a very encompassing thing right we spend so many hours in the kitchen um even when we're not there we're there with phone calls and having to send orders to purveyors and affects our family life and our personal life and, and all these things it's very you know if you're truly committed to the craft it's it's engulfing right <laughs> so there was that part of me
0: right like an, large and, and very real like a regular job is a 40-hour work week but easily in the kitchen as executive chef it can be yeah. 60 70 maybe one day off sometimes
1: yes that was pretty typical for nearly two decades was you know 60 to 75 hours a week generally six days all the above right so mm-hmm. So that was obviously a very big part of who I was, how I thought of myself. But there was also this other part of me, which those who worked in the kitchen long enough with me got to know to some degree, because I got to, you know, as we get to know people, you get to open up a little bit more. You know, I've been on a spiritual journey for for quite a while now in my life, I'd say like multiple decades, and it's really um, exponentially grown in the last eight to ten years I'd say, and in, you know, and more so in the last handful of years. And so I wanted to combine this passion for cooking and all the skill sets that I've amassed and abilities, but provide that kind of culinary experience with a very conscious effort in Group settings where people are doing things with intention, whether it be you know so-called retreats where people are going for to be healed or to be uh, you know to help with their awakenings or what have you. All of these kind of situations where people are doing things with intention, even just warm family gatherings where people are just you know I wanted to be a part of that process for them, a part of that. Okay, so process.
0: So how do you change your food for conscious cooking versus right, well, in a restaurant?
1: There's a lot of layers to that love is always present. Let's start with that. (laughs) Right. So it's very important to care about what you're doing and understand that the energy that you're putting into the food, you know, even, you know, the thoughts that are going through your head, that the way you're, you're manipulating things with your hands, the attention that you're putting into it, all of these things. And in my opinion, you're transferring energy into this creation that you're doing. It's a literal sacred alchemy, in my opinion, like cooking, as in, you know, the, the whole, the end product is greater than the uh, the parts that went into it led to gold so to speak okay so that is um, a very layered process <laughs> and it doesn't uh i can't say it gets evoked at the same level each time because there's not a necessarily a desire or need from that from the client standpoint right it, everything is is Highly customizable with me, very personalized. Started doing this nearly two years ago, and I've yet to do the same menu twice. You know, some similar dishes here and there, and there's certain things that, you know, people gravitate towards in a usual way. I don't really work with recipes, you know, like I used to when I was running kitchens and writing menus for restaurants, you know, because consistency is obviously extremely important. So, Well,
0: um, it's also different. At this point, you don't have any assistance. So you get to be the creative leader and kind of do what you're doing, you know, by yourself.
1: Correct. I'm, I'm the the main and only contact, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm the person either being contacted to by the by the potential client or me reaching out to them, vice versa. I'm the one engaging with them in the conversations regarding, you know, their vision for the event, the purpose, you know, all the aspects that can be invoked and all these such things. And But to answer the question you were getting at, you know, what how do you do that? What is conscious cooking? Like I said, the layers. So product is obviously very important.
0: I like high quality.
1: Right, so we're talking about our organic produce. We're talking about things that aren't, you know, GMO'd. We're talking about even not just produce, uh, you know, meats that are sourced, you know.
0: (laughs) Like locally farmed is always better.
1: Local is obviously ideal. Seasonal is obviously ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, organic. Um, where I live, you know, the seasons are a little non-existent. <laughs> right,
0: in Korea, the yeah, desert. In
1: the desert. But, you know, I certainly don't do all of my events in the desert either. But I've tried to utilize those products whenever I can, though. Like, uh, you know, local dates, local citrus, um, you know, things of that nature.
0: Well, that's nice, too, because you've been traveling quite a bit since you've yeah, obviously been doing... Yeah,
1: it's my first time here in Colorado, at least since I was two
0: or three <laughs> right but but you're about to go to costa rica
1: uh mexico
0: mexico i'm sorry you in, were just I in costa, in costa
1: rica. rica with the same client that i'll be with in in tulum two weeks sorry yeah i was in costa rica which was a uh, absolutely uh, blessed and magical experience
0: well but also speaking of back when i knew you when we met you had been talking about costa rica because you yes worked there
1: yes i lived there for about two years 20 years ago um when my first daughter was nine months old I actually drove down there (laughs) with a friend of mine who was also in industry we were chefs well technically we weren't chefs at the time we were just line cooks (laughs) at the time he had actually we worked in several restaurants together in the santa barbara area and uh you know we even lived together and he was a beautiful person and he's actually um his name is john cheery and uh, he's a wonderful human being. And he actually lives in Avignon, France right now. And he has his own business, which is kind of this uh, chef bicycle tour thing where he does he does the whole deal. Like he'll take people on bicycle tours and then cook for them. And so he's doing his own thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which is wonderful um, for him. So he he was actually in New Orleans at the time when I decided, we decided, I should say, um, my my daughter's mother and I decided to move to Costa Rica. And uh, he and I drove down there from Santa Barbara.
0: So How long that was, did that take?
1: Uh, well, we drove pretty hard, but it still took us a week because it's a lot of borders. And that takes time getting through the borders. How
0: many miles is that?
1: Oh, I wouldn't even. <laughs> I could guesstimate and say 3,000. I've never actually
0: That's pretty crazy calculated. in a week.
1: Uh, yeah, we were driving a solid you know, 12 hours a day, if not more, because we, had, we, had, we were up against a timeline of our own. You know, I had purchased plane tickets for my daughter and her mother a month out from the day we left. And <laughs> for them to land in San Jose, Costa Rica from L.A. In between, we were supposed to figure out where we were going to live and how I was going to make money.
0: <laughs> well, so, Wait, so, so you didn't have a job set up? No,
1: nothing. I barely even spoke the language.
0: So yeah. you just one day decided, OK, it I want to work somewhere different and I'm going to drive to Costa Rica. It was a, it was a
1: bit more bit longer of a conversation than that it wasn't my own decision obviously it was her my, my daughter's mother and i made that decision together because we wanted to try something exotic before our daughter was too old to um you know had school age so to speak so we felt like we had a window that we really needed to seize if we wanted to try something wild because we had friends who had you know lived in thailand and just come back it all seemed very wonderful and you know when you're When you're at that age, in your early 20s, you're very brave, willing to take risks. And that was certainly probably the the biggest dice roll I've ever taken in my life, was that that choice.
0: What job did you end up getting in Costa Rica?
1: Technically, I was the chef of a place called uh, Bosque del Cabo,
0: um,
1: which means Forest of the Cape. Um, it's this amazing property it's not only still exists today but it has expanded since we've uh, left and, and returned to the states and started by this uh, amazing gentleman uh, Phil Spears is his name and he lived in Florida or was from Florida he went down there for a surfing trip as many people do and he ended up falling in love with the country and staying uh, fast forward 15 years to when we met him. He had bought this property, which is literally the point of the Osa Peninsula, which is a smaller peninsula on the Pacific side. Basically, 90% of that peninsula is Parque Cocovalo, which is protected land um, with a very thin strip around the the coast is, uh, you know, where the road is, the only road. (laughs) And several of these you know, rainforest lodges, so to speak. Um, And this was one of them. And it was, uh, I I was the chef. uh, Although I never wore a coat, my my outfit every day, my uniform, if we will even take it that far, was shorts, a t-shirt, and no shoes.
0: (laughs) So super safe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean...
1: um, No shoes? No, usually not shoes. I mean, you live in the jungle.
0: Wait, you worked in barefoot?
1: Yes, I worked barefoot. I mean, I cleaned my feet, obviously. I didn't. I wasn't tracking in mud from the jungle into the kitchen. So safety first. Sanitation and safety always.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds pretty crazy. So you worked there the entire time for the two years?
1: Correct. Yes. And uh, we did have to leave every three months to renew our visas. So there was that aspect of it. But uh, yeah, I, I prepared dinners every night, and uh, I wasn't the only um, cook uh, there. You know, the owner Phil would—he would, enjoyed that, so he would you know, do lunches or breakfast whenever he felt compelled to. There was also, you know, several Ticos locals who would assist us with prep. It wasn't my a solo show, but it was mainly me. And, uh, you know, I would feed upwards of 40 people, however many people were staying on property that night uh, in a big kind of buffet setting outdoors underneath you know, these beautiful, large teak uh, wood huts and, and structures that they built everything obviously exceedingly local and fresh <laughs> you know there was no other way so fish that was caught literally that day produce that was pulled out of the ground three days ago at the most um herbs and fruit You know, literally plucking fruit off the tree as i'm walking from where we lived to the kitchen uh, so
0: it's all grown pretty close.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I don't want to say that's where it started, but that's really where I got to see the power of, you know, what's called farm to table now
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
1: of of source of really like letting Gaia just speak to us.
0: I mean, I understand what you're talking about, because when I was in Costa Rica, I saw how fresh everything was and how fertile the ground is, just the fruits Everything is super ripe. Everything is tasting the way it's supposed to be. So did you feel that going to Costa Rica, you felt fulfilled in your decision? Like this was where you were meant to be at that time?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. There was absolutely no regrets in, in us going down there. And many times when I've been asked about it, I say it's, you know, the best two years of my life <laughs> hmm. um, just because of, of the lifestyle, right? Uh, pura vida, right, is what they say down there, which means pure life. And, uh, you know, I was blessed enough, like like we talked about, to go back a few months ago for the first time since, since I did live down there and just.
0: And how long had that been?
1: Tw- 20 years, basically. 20 years. And so a lot has changed. Obviously, towns that were basically three huts on the coast are now have, you know, several multi story hotels and things of that nature. But there are still, you know, Certainly lots of pockets that are small and will stay small by their nature. Absolutely fantastic to go back.
0: So let's rewind to where you're from. Like, what are your roots?
1: Okay. Yeah. So I was born in New Jersey, the Garden State. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was born in Orange, New Jersey, um, and was there until I was about uh, 15.
0: Okay. And your background, I mean, your last name is Sicardi, so you have yeah, Italian. Oh, I'm sorry, Sicilian Get roots. right.
1: No. <laughs> uh, yes, both my mother and father's bloodline is Sicilian. And it was, uh, if I'm correct, uh, my great-grandparents on both sides were the ones who came over.
0: So as a child, were you doing a lot of cooking I wouldn't say a lot of cooking, and my mother was. This is
1: where it all goes back to: is is watching my mother cook, and, and what and what she was able to create with the time and and such that limited time and limited resources that she had, and just the absolute memories. You know, all of us have memories of 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 our mother cooking, I would think, or grandmother, or somebody important in our lives. You know, just coming home, walking through the door from school, and smelling, you know, the sauce sauce you know on the stove i like oh my god it's gonna be a good night you know <laughs> really then when those seeds of you know how powerful food can be as far as creating memories and pulling emotion out of us and, and all of these wonderful things you know it's, you remember how people how they made you feel not what they said necessarily right so um it's a way of making people feel feeding them and i've, I've certainly realized that and 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 consciously chased that <laughs> for a very very long time
0: are you from a big family
1: well no technically i have one full-blooded sister one half sister my parents my mother has lots of siblings but i'm kind of the black sheep of the family so it is somewhat large but i wouldn't say i necessarily engage with a lot of them
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. sure was there anything else that you wanted to do or as a teenager or like growing up that you thought you maybe would do or it was always food related
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't even... Uh, most little boys want want to do little boy stuff, right? So what do we want to be? We want to be spacemen, firefighters, and all these things. So for me, it was, you know, a hockey player and archaeologist. Those are the two things that, in my mind, like, sounded the coolest.
0: Wow, archaeologist.
1: Well, I mean, you could probably blame Indiana Jones movies for that to some degree. <laughs> uh, that's right around you know my my timeline there uh but yeah i I found that fascinating and you know dinosaurs and history and even to this day like i i am absolutely fascinated by you know megalithic structures and ancient civilizations and all these things and uh there there probably is another uh, timeline where i'm an archaeologist somewhere but uh yeah the whole passion for food thing as far as this is what i want to do with my life um really didn't manifest until after high school
0: so, is this something that was planned or
1: i'd say no <laughs> i
0: feel like i feel like people who enter the kitchen it's rarely planned
1: right so the way it went down for me personally is uh so um, fast forward senior year of high school uh santa barbara california
0: wait hold on so you moved you were in new jersey and when did you move to california
1: left new jersey when i was 15. my father myself and my sister and we moved to minnesota for two years so my freshman year was in New Jersey, two different high schools, split in half, like literally. <laughs> um, my sophomore and junior year was in Underwood, Minnesota, charming town of, I believe, 300.
0: I believe Minnesota is a very frigid state as well. Yes, I I
1: my, when you say that, my very first memory that comes in, you know, slapping me in the forehead is literally crying my way home from school, walking home from school after basketball practice in about 20 below with about 40 mile an hour winds and pitch black because there were no streetlights and dirt roads. And I had lost one of my gloves along the way somehow or something happened. I didn't didn't have a glove. So I basically, not full blown frostbite, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, dangerously close to frostbite on my hand. Not that I was bawling all the way home. I mean, let's be real about this. There was certainly the last 20 minutes of the walk. It was probably about a three-hour walk, you know, because we were talking several miles. This This is is before cell phones. This is, you know, all of this.
0: This is very impressive because I feel like you should be doing better in the cold here in Aspen.
1: Yeah, but that was so long ago, and it was such a scarring experience like
0: traumatic <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um it's just not enjoyable and and you know i've spent so many years like we've already discussed costa rica you know i lived in santa barbara for several several years i've lived in florida those are more the climates that i am comfortable in
0: <laughs> I, understand. I understand i enjoy those climates more as well but you know life has its own role to play so you were in minnesota and then from there
1: yes sorry so two years in minnesota and then my dad moved us again, and we moved to Santa Barbara. Yeah, so that's well, how I finished up high school in Santa Barbara.
0: What did your dad do? For work? Yeah.
1: Um, more often than not, a bartender. He's done uh, several other things.
0: So he just liked to travel,
1: or he was just looking... Oh, no, this was more based on his his marital status and things of that nature. So he, he had a second wife. You know, so uh, my parents were divorced when I was about five, I want to say. My dad remarried. When um you know right before the like, timeline we're discussing like right before high school, his new wife's family was from Minnesota, and they kind of convinced us to join them uh, out of New Jersey you know, more wholesome place to raise the kids you know that's why we went to Minnesota and then the two after two years, unfortunately for them that that fell apart my dad had a very dear friend living in Santa Barbara at the time and he just... You know come out here and so we just continued west
0: most of your life you've been in california would you say
1: yeah i've never really sat and added it up but at this at this point you know living nearly a decade in the coachella valley and a cumulative you know 11 years in santa barbara that yeah if we were to say what state have you lived in the longest it would be california yes
0: okay like did you go to culinary school
1: going back to the actual how did this all start Culinary-wise, right? So I was in high school in Santa Barbara, and uh, one of my friends at the time, we would pick our additional classes uh, outside the normal curriculum each semester, right? And so for the final semester, um, he and I decided to—I forget what it was called, but essentially we worked the the little— kitchenette situation that they had for the teachers in the teacher's lounge like we would go in there and and brew coffee and make simple things like cinnamon rolls and biscuits and uh, stuff like that and we'd serve serve it to the teachers
0: <laughs> so you did do baking despite
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably where the yes <laughs> some minor baking and obviously i didn't find much interest in that aspect of the culinary world let's say so but you know so that semester finished and we graduated high school and and we were kind of stuck like okay what are, what are we going to do and uh, i really didn't have a distinct plan for myself this particular same friend said why don't we join the program that they have at the city college so at santa barbara city college there is a program called HRC, Hotel, Restaurant, Culinary Program, which still ex- not only still exists today, but my very good friend is a, plays a very big role in the execution of that. He's one of the main teachers and curriculum designers and all the rest. And uh, and they've expanded like I, I went to see the facilities recently and I'm quite jealous, if I'm honest, compared to what we worked with <laughs> all those years ago.
0: So they've remodeled it,
1: upgraded, remodeled, expanded the campus on and on and on, um, you know, obviously a lot more money has been invested, better equipment. So. Um, so
0: it's been a valuable um, course there.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the um, people in the industry in that area certainly went through the program. You know, it's it's a cute little city college, so many people wouldn't even think oh, you know, what are you, what's happening there? How can that really give you anything worth? But what that program did allow me to do is be hired by worth worthy of being hired by the better restaurants in the area at the time. Um, and so that's where it really kind of began.
0: Oh, really? So it had that much clout?
1: So to speak. Yes.
0: Because for me it was a little bit different depending on the restaurants I worked at that gave me different job opportunities. But for you it was the college, Oh, first of all, how long was your culinary school? It was a two year program. Okay. Two years. And then what was your first job?
1: Well, I worked during, a lot of us worked during, obviously not very long hours because, you know, we're in school all day. So, but a lot of us had part-time jobs in the evening or on weekends. I wish I could remember. Here we go again. Bake shop. (laughs) I worked in a bake shop and I assisted- I didn't know any of (laughs) (laughs) this. It's repressed memory. Um, (laughs) No, there was this lovely woman who actually- was the wife of a pastry chef that i ended up working for later shortly thereafter my career in santa barbara but she uh ran this or she was the main pastry chef for this adorable uh shop in downtown santa barbara and i was her part-time assistant so i would go and make creme anglaise and um you know just silly stuff that my next to nothing skill set allotted for you know cleaning and organizing the case and teach me to flavor things very you know basic basic stuff
0: okay so when you worked there and you went to culinary school like all these things that's when you felt okay i'm in i'm in the right industry or were there some doubts some uh no
1: i would never say there were doubts there was never any other industry or career path that you know was kind of looming or or teasing me to walk away from the kitchen um actually what happened is is it kind of unleashed and opened up this whole world you know because i've always loved to travel and the idea of experiencing other cultures and and you know just the the concept of how certain things originated in certain areas you know the evolution of food you know and i found very fascinating like why are there 400 different potatoes you know and where do they come from and how is each one different from the next you know there's hundreds of different apples why you yeah. know i want to know about each one of them what's the best way to utilize each individual type of apple mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so these were the types of questions i began asking and and even after 20 plus years as you know there's still so much to learn you never know at all but you look at what you knew back then and wow you know there's there was just so much to absorb and dive into and you know the techniques are endless and all the rest
0: i like hearing this that there's always something to learn i mean i agree with that but many chefs that i've Mm -hmm. come across over the years they act as if they have nothing more to learn or you know they're very comfortable in their job Uh, many people don't always want to strive for the next thing. This kind of mindset um
1: is probably mirrored in most every industry where not everyone is truly in it for with passion and heart and integrity. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are people that kind of stumble into it and do good enough, have ego issues and what you know, whatever their insecurities are that allow them to feel that they've established themselves and and rather than teaching the next generation and bringing them up and sharing you know i my, my recipes were never secrets when i would get called out to a table in a restaurant that i worked at and they're like oh my god can you you know this is amazing yeah i would go back print out the recipe and hand it to them you know walk them through it you know call me if you need help figuring it out you know all my cooks you know i would give them let them take pictures of the recipes and the recipe books you were know, we like you're mentioning some chefs are Quite the opposite.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel when you were starting working and you're working these jobs, are there moments where you just felt you're doing it for the guest? You're doing it for, you know, they're eating your food. They're appreciative. Like, why do you keep doing what you're doing?
1: Well, it's rewarding in a lot of ways, and in some ways it becomes an adrenal addiction. (laughs) <laughs> so you know that is one of the the few things i missed about being directly immersed in the industry you know right right now it's kind of i'm in my, i'm on an island somewhat um, you mean
0: having your own business correct yeah.
1: but when i was you know for so many years running large kitchens or, or multi uh, you know faceted facilities with several outlets and all, and all the rest it's exciting to lead a large group of cooks into service and prepare them and teach them and and have a fantastic service together and know that you know every guest was had a wonderful time and got their food you know in, in proper timing and was
0: yeah i remember in the right way and... i remember at the parker you would show the cooks how to cut salmon you know, like a giant salmon or a giant tuna and then you'd give the ends to me and i would feed the salmon to my cats
1: I remember. <laughs> well, Full product utilization is what it's called. I don't know how uh, this probably would have been frowned upon perhaps by management had they well, so, appreciate the out, but uh,
0: <laughs> nobody knew, nobody knew,
1: you know, in hindsight, we could have used that salmon otherwise and, and, and made a little more money for the property.
0: Well, so, they were more the end pieces, okay. Okay. but I did really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> when you were working in these kitchens and showing other cooks, what to do, what was your inspiration? Like, is there some sort of inspiration why you kept doing what you're doing?
1: What, what always drove me forward was just multifaceted. One, seeing the reaction of guests to the food that we were creating. Again,
0: but we don't, I mean, being in the back of the house, that's something that I feel gets lost. Like working in a hotel, we don't really have that connection unless they ask to speak to the chef.
1: Very true in a large in a large hotel you especially as a pastry chef very rarely the largest hotel where i was you know kind of a, a large piece of that was at the Ritz Carlton in Sarasota you know f- 15 18 years ago whatever that was i was the chef of the of the flagship restaurant i would get called out to the room multiple times a night you know that's where i really got the first taste that's the first kitchen where i was writing the menus entirely you know i had worked in other kitchens where it was coordinated with, a, with another chef or, or I was under the chef and just a cook or a sous chef and I, he would you know, allow me one or two dishes on the menu, things of that nature. But that experience was the first time that the menu was mine. My name was on the menu. Not that I cared that my name was on the menu, per se. Cool.
0: No, but that's a, no, that's a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's cool. But So how long did it take you to become an actual chef? Because sometimes, you know, living in more populated areas, it's harder. Like for me, I became an uh, executive pastry chef having left a more populated area and moving to Arizona. And then having worked at the places I'd worked, you know, I kind of built up a resume to be able to do it. Like how... How was your story?
1: I feel like that's a very kind of nebulous question in the sense that, like, did you feel you were a chef at a certain point, or you, or the first time you were given a title? Because as we've discussed, you know, people can kind of stumble into these positions unwarranted. Yeah. (laughs) Or, or you know, vice versa. Very talented people get stepped on because of their attitude, or you know, I've, I've known several extremely talented cooks that were never able to be chefs simply because they couldn't time manage very well. They had zero people skills, you know they had anger issues or substance issues or whatever the situation
0: was. I mean that's know. many people in the kitchen
1: yeah it's a it's a cacophony of madness at times, absolutely. It takes a very unique type and and that type is a very wide brush stroke. <laughs> Yeah, all all the cliches are true, right? You know, the the ex-cons, the the drug addicts, the alcoholics, the this, the that. (laughs) You know, not to say uh, I'm none of those, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) Uh, I'm none of those. Uh, But certainly a high percentage or at least a good percentage of a a large kitchen staff, I would say, have some people with some personality issues, shall we say.
0: In my experience, you know, because I taught in sedona as an instructor and i've dealt with some of those students they were some of the best students i had because they were so focused and motivated and just they found something other than you know their issues that they've had in their lives and it completely took them away from their troubles you know like it was a different outlet an inspirational outlet
1: I have experienced that and it is always a very humbling and beautiful thing to either witness or play and or play a role in someone climbing out of whatever darkness and really embracing this passion and innate talent and being able to foster that and watch someone grow because of it and better themselves. You know, and that's how I learned to love cooking. We kind of touched on like how did, how did you operate kitchens per se, or, or how, you know, what kept you going? And, and I loved the dynamic. I loved once I had established myself as, you know, generally speaking the head of the kitchen, I, I loved being the leader and inspiring others and teaching others and, and kind of mother henning them, um, not coddling. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's never usually a good idea in a kitchen environment. You know, like we talked about being like the leader of the battalion going into the war, kind of a thing and really just it's it's a very dramatic dynamic it's been well documented and we've seen the movies you know and a lot of these things are are very on point <laughs> you know like most of us in the industry when we see these movies like burnt or chef or, or what have you you know there's there's moments when you're like that's exactly how it is <laughs> they yeah. got that exactly right <laughs> you know um and to the layman or someone outside the industry it all seems very dramatic and how could these things happen and there's no way there's this is what's going on as I'm eating my dinner and eh, guess what? <laughs> you know?
0: Well, so. I remember when I made a wedding cake, as I was transporting it to the location, it started, the top started to fall off and I caught it. Mm. And you were the chef at the time. <laughs> it was a very dramatic moment. You said to me, like, it's only- Screw it. <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't <laughs> Did say, that. say that. You said, You know, it's only so dramatic because I'm passionate about it.
1: Yeah. If you didn't care and didn't have integrity, you would just kind of slapped it back on the, on the stand and, and figured it out. Right. But, you know, we're talking about a wedding cake, you know, it's a very vital piece to that ceremony, that experience. And obviously weddings are a very big deal (laughs) for the people who are involved in there, who are getting wed. Right. So, um, yeah, the cake is, is probably the exceedingly crucial. So to have, have that potentiality of it falling or having to present something that, I mean, you would end up making her cry.
0: And, and <laughs> More they than probably
1: that. wouldn't even have gotten through, gone through the marriage, right? They'd seen it as some omen.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, that's probably true. No, but I appreciated, you know, what you said, and then you said, okay, take like 20 minutes and just sit. Because <laughs> because I Cromete. needed,
1: we'll come
0: Yeah, I needed. <laughs> I needed some time. Do you have a moment in the kitchen that was absolutely disastrous that you remember mm. to this mm. day? Mm.
1: Well, I wouldn't say disaster. I mean, I probably it could have been, but
0: out. But well, they're... that's what I mean. They're traumatic. But you know what I mean. Like, was there a moment?
1: Okay. This, I, the one that comes to mind, and I will share. It did happen recently. I'll say that. And, and when I say recently, with in Palm Springs area. And it was a holiday evening. It was Thanksgiving, actually, Uh, which, for those of you outside the industry, holidays are extremely stressful times for chefs. Yes. Um, Just because of everything that goes involved. And then, you know, whatever. We won't get into that aspect of it. But
0: well, there's so many holidays in, you know, all in a row. I mean, Thanksgiving. Smashed
1: together. Exactly. You you exhale from Thanksgiving, and then you're already having to um, not only have, you probably have already written the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and New Year's Eve menus. But now it's time to work out recipes and all these other things and start ordering product. So it's Thanksgiving night. I'm the chef of this particular restaurant in the Palm Springs area. And um, we're set to do 480 covers or whatever it is. (laughs) And I have my team of eight, nine cooks, three, four dishwashers, you know, the large wait staff. I was training a chef who had just been hired to run that restaurant. Like I said, I was kind of the, the the corporate chef, but there wasn't a chef of that restaurant. So I was acting as the chef of that restaurant for a few months. And then when when we finally found someone to fill that role, it was about two weeks before Thanksgiving, or not even that. I want to say it was just a handful of days um, when he was onboarded. So he was still getting used to, obviously, everything we were doing, our processes and whatnot. As we discuss, some people in industry have... Uh, personality issues, and uh, are not always strong in communication, or maintaining their composure.
0: Yes. So <laughs> emotions run high in the kitchen.
1: <clears throat> and in the middle of service, when you're doing four hundred and eighty covers, and I'm essentially the conductor of a mad symphony, and I have fifty tickets in front of me, literally. Literally. And I'm trying to, you know, eye everything that's going on with all my cooks, make sure they're doing things the right way, not cutting corners because we're busy or not, you know, whatever the situation is, being mindful of everything to make sure that every plate that hits the pass is as it should be when it should be, right? So that's the goal. Mad dance, mad orchestration, right? And there's times where perhaps we sold a little more of something, or God forbid, a cook drops something Always. and we need to prep something on the fly or there's adjustments that need to be made. Service is never even when it goes perfectly there's never some some obstacle that popped up. <laughs>
0: Always yeah.
1: Right. So, I remember there was I don't recall the exact dish, but it was it was it was a salad and we had run out of a component, one of the components for the salad or we we're running low. You know, the cook says, "Chef, I only have, you know, eight left and we're in the middle cool. of service." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's not going to cut it." So, I went to turn to the chef that I was training to take over this restaurant and it's a large kitchen, you know, it's a, it's a good 40 by 40 space, the, just the service area of the kitchen. And I turned around and he's up against the far wall, leaning on a sink, legs crossed, looking at his phone.
0: Oh no. <laughs> <So> <laughs>
1: I assumed he had been kind of just watching from a distance and taking mental notes, maybe even literal physical notes and just kind of watching service go. Right, as you would think someone would want to do who's inheriting right. Yeah. He apparently felt none of that was necessary. I spoke to him without turning the first time. I kind of yelled over my shoulder without completely turning around, Chef, I need you to XYZ. No reply. And then I directed a couple more things real quickly, took a breath, turned around, Chef, and that's when he looked kind of casually looked up at me.
0: No respect. (laughs) No respect.
1: Right. So I said, Chef, I need you to XYZ with a little more firmness not didn't want to you know embarrass him because he was going to inherit this kitchen so it wasn't about belittling him but i needed to make him aware this was kind of urgent and he should have been paying attention already right he took offense to my tone the second time and stepped up to me to my face and basically challenged me in that moment what did he do blacked out so I couldn't even tell you what I recalled him saying.
0: Wait, what do you mean you blacked out? Well,
1: I mean, like what he said is gone, like that memory is oh, gone. Oh,
0: because you were so
1: upset. In the moment. And like, he had the gall to feel like I was at a line oh <laughs> in God. that situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he came up to me. and was like, you don't talk to me like that. Blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever happened. And I gave him about eight seconds of that, put his hand, put my hand to his face. And I said, uh-huh. I'm going back to running service. And I just turned back and went right back into focusing on the staff, focusing on the kitchen. That need that was directed towards him, I directed elsewhere. I delegated right. that to someone else who was willing and able. Right. And he stood there stewing. I could feel his heat behind me that I just yeah. basically ignored him and went back to doing what I was doing oh my God. flawlessly. Yeah. Like it was, I. Was, you know, afterwards they were like, chef, that's the best Thanksgiving we ever had in this place. Best numbers we've ever had. Everything was great. But, okay. You know, and that was despite you know, being able to not respond, you know, not be triggered by that, yeah. to turn around, compose myself, and just fold myself right back into the flow of what was happening. Okay. And, you know, like, I had cooks, like, looking at me through the past, like, Chef, are you good? You okay? Like, the whole, you, wow. Like, they were they were impressed with how you were, I remain composed.
0: You remain composed. No, that's a big deal because... Yeah. You were not always.
1: So eventually he got the, he figured it out that I was just going to ignore him the rest of service. And he just pouted back to where he was Yeah. and did whatever he did the rest of the night. I don't know. But.
0: Wait, so <laughs> wait. So what happened to the salad thing? Did you run out or? We figured it out. It was like okay. a, an
1: avocado mousse needed to be made or something. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. we made it happen.
0: Well, that's what you do. You figure things out in the kitchen because nothing is ever as planned.
1: Right. You never know exactly the number of things that you're going to sell any given night. I mean, there's certain restaurants that say we have this and that's it. You know, they have the luxury of saying no. Most places you work at, you, unless it's absolutely inconceivable or you're sacrificing the integrity of the dish or product, you figure it out. Yeah. So.
0: Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's why you're a chef, because you've experienced enough events that you can figure it out part of being in the kitchen and finding solutions that's basically what chefs do right you find solutions
1: yeah i remember there's a there's a meme that i remember seeing years ago and said uh, you're a chef you're also a psychiatrist a plumber an electrician a carpenter <laughs> like all of these other things you know an artist."
0: that's so uh, true you know. because well i mean each one of your assistants you know they all have their own issues personal things i mean You don't want anybody to walk out, which also happens, you know, but you're trying to basically get everyone good, calm everybody down. You're part of the team. Everybody's part of the team. Like you said, you're running an orchestra.
1: And everyone has their unique buttons, right? Like not everyone is motivated the same way. Right. So it's figuring out why that person's there, what's going to make them be more emotionally invested to the place Mm. and, and coax that out of them and really show them, not only is it, are, is what they're doing going to make the restaurant better, but it's going to make themselves better. It's um, about that. It's about life lessons. You that's know, it's the same thing that, you know, that coaches do football teams and, and, you know, these kind of situations.
0: You've been in the industry how long?
1: Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. it 20, basically 27 years. Yeah. My first job was about 27 years ago.
0: And you were telling me yesterday how you've really come full circle in what you're doing now, doing your own thing.
1: Yeah, like we kind of touched on uh, earlier, I've been able to synthesize these two, you know, oil and water parts of me. Synthesize this spiritual path that I've been on and synthesize my, you know, skill set in the kitchen. Right. How do I meld these two worlds together? and it's it's when i chose to do that that i feel like my actual path really opened up.
0: i have moments like this where oh i want to do my own thing but it's a huge thing because as a chef, you know, you don't really have this money tucked away or whatever. i mean, most chefs live paycheck to paycheck or maybe just have a few thousand dollars for some emergencies. but there's this fear, there's this new risk, this thing everybody wants to experience their own creativity but it's hard to give up that day-to-day job to do your own thing so did you feel that
1: well i feel like honestly my situation was kind of handicapped and and dare i say uh, a blessing that that whole time frame was for me you know having uh, sadly restaurants forced to shut down and 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 all of that, where
0: like during COVID,
1: yeah, where there wasn't really it wasn't really sure if I was going to make money working anyway, right? You know, so the risk seemed less to a degree. Was it any less stressful? I don't know about that. You know, there was certainly a time about about eight months in to this process to this now almost two year process where I was on the fence. I had done everything myself. I don't I don't know how to promote myself. I don't know. You know the whole social media thing I'm, i've figured these things out on my own i don't have a team to rely on there's not you know marketing manager yeah. <laughs> uh, a brand ambassador for me <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so it's a competitive market anywhere what we do right so i am by far not the only caterer so to speak quote unquote person offering culinary services in my area so just getting known just getting people knowing i existed is a process right so mm-hmm. Uh, there was a point about eight, nine months in where things were happening and, and it felt good, felt right, but they were sporadic. You know, as we discussed, finances weren't necessarily always the most abundant. I was at the point where I was literally considering, you know, just throwing this up as a fun little journey and going back to get getting, quote unquote, a real job, being executive chef at a hotel somewhere in the area because I was always getting offers from headhunters and, you know, call us, you know, having this opportunity. It was always in the back of my head, Stop, this is silly. That fear-based voice, really more than anything. Go back to what you know, play it safe.
0: Well, you but know. that's the thing. You do know what you're doing. You're just playing other roles because you have to market yourself. I do, yes. I'm,
1: yes, I'm very good in the kitchen. People don't necessarily know that. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know um, or at least the, the amount of people that are hold, creating events or would uh, you know hire me to provide a service for them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's not just events that I do, you know, it was Valentine's uh, very soon. Right. So next week I have a romantic dinner for two that I'm doing. And then other end of the spectrum, a wedding for 200 people, you know, and everything in between, you know, corporate events, things that are strictly, you know, hors d'oeuvres, baby showers, you know, all the above, but the cooking classes, I offer brand consulting. You know, I had a, a, a wonderful opportunity to basically mend this beautiful property up in Washington state last summer for three months. You know, as a consulting gig, they hired me to basically go up there and, and repair their systems. <laughs> so it was an honor to do that. But uh,
0: that's pretty amazing how such a wide range, all these services. I mean, it seems so much more creative and fulfilling to mm. be able to do this.
1: Yeah, yes. I At this point in my life, I am the most financially stable I've ever been while also having the most free time. I ever had to pursue other creative projects, spend time with my daughter, be myself, you know, whatever I choose to do. And, and...
0: where do you see this going?
1: Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So it goes back to two major choice points or, or moments as far as uh, eras, right? So the moment when I really understood the depth of food as a role in people's lives, right? It's not just sustenance. Obviously, so much more than that, creating memories, um, evoking emotions, all these beautiful things, right? So it's not only that, but it's also the learning, the traveling, where I'm pu- pushing this towards now. Like, I, you know, I feel like I've kind of small potatoes still, but, you know, I'm very humble and, and thankful for what I have, but I, I feel like I'm on firm ground at least. You know, I have several events booked (laughs) in the future and, and, you know, things are blossoming in front of me as I go along and I'm having, you know, obviously repeat clients, which is fantastic. You know, that's why I'm here in Aspen. These kind of wonderful opportunities where you're developing these relationships with people. It's not just like, oh yeah, here's a plate of food.
0: I I like it. I mean, I find that so meaningful because it is that connection with the guest and the customer. I mean, that's what makes me passionate about baking. Now that you get to do that and really have that connection with the customer, I mean that seems so much more gratifying. So do you want to keep doing that or do you see it evolving into something else? Yeah.
1: So you know, as as much as I'm grateful for, you know, the smaller kind of offshoot events and, and you know, the bachelor parties are always fun and, and you know, <laughs> those types of things, right? You enjoy that as the chef, right? <laughs> but uh <laughs> And they are it is fulfilling to to provide in those situations because those are meaningful moments, too, in in people's eyes. Right. Yeah. Um, But as far as a wider scope and a deeper dream, you know, it's more about these things that I'm doing, like with this company that's hired me for Costa Rica and, and Tulum in Mexico, where I'm not just providing food for the event. I'm part of the healing experience that people are going there for. You know what I mean? Like expand on that. We, we either ourselves or probably know someone who's attended some kind of workshop or retreat or, you know, weekend seminar or
0: like kind of self healing, mind opening, yeah,
1: whatever verbiage you'd like to use, like world of spirituality, you know, I don't even necessarily like to use that word. Uh, there's so many phrases that come and go um, and on that path. You know, these gatherings, these sacred gatherings, and, and that's how I, you know, on, on my website, that's, that's how I describe them as far as one of my offerings to provide for sacred gatherings and to become part of this healing experience that people, as we begin to learn, want to know more about ourselves and our role on this planet and with our family, as we heal these aspects of us that we realize we're carrying, you know, trauma from our childhood or whatever the case may be, you know, so many of us are, again, in the last few years, since the world went sideways a little bit, you know, a lot of us are had the time now <laughs> to look in the mirror and go this is how i want my life to be different mm. this is how i want my life to be better these are the ways i you know how do i do that right. and then so with the you have enough of an impetus in that way those opportunities are going to to gravitate to you you know that's why we see some quote-unquote popularity um, in these types of gatherings you know more and more people are holding these situations where we're bringing in speakers and, you know, there's all, all kinds of modalities that get utilized in these situations and settings. It's all very, the point is it's intentional. I want to be part of something intentional, mm-hmm. purposeful. Right. So
0: like make an impact, make a difference. I mean, I think every one of us, you know, and especially as we get older, you want something intentional and something with more meaning. It's so easy to do that. With something you care about and something you love, you know, in your case, feeding people that you also care about because now you've created this connection with these people.
1: hundred percent. And it's an honor to do these things and and they can't help but expand, right? right. It's, it's one of those situations that you've put yourself in where, you know, only you know, more opportunities can come from that. And I'm not talking about financial opportunities. I'm I'm talking about like we're talking about deepening relationships and more understanding of oneself, more understanding of the food and how it works and the nuances of nutrition. and, And like we talked about, like, like the evolution of food is just so fascinating to me and just evolution in general. But, you know, this
0: is my craft. So. Well, but if you look back, I mean, if you truly do something you love, it never really is about the money. Truly. Obviously it's nice to be able to pay your bills, but if it's something that has deep meaning, it's always about just growing and being a better version of yourself. But the thing is, if you continue to do what you love, then everything else will flourish with that. As I look back on my my path, do you feel like now you feel a bit more since when you first went to Costa Rica to your last trip. I mean, you had mm-hmm. said that you felt more like things have become full circle in your life.
1: Yeah, it was a very profound, I've had several profound experiences <laughs> in the last several years, for sure, uh, in various ways and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, being going back to Costa Rica after 20 years and breathing that air in again and, and being around those people and that energy, for me, was um, just reaffirming that you know i was making the right choices and i was stepping into who i was supposed to be in this lifetime
0: i like how you said breathing that air you know it's like your senses it's always your senses that bring you right back no matter how much time has passed for example If you were to eat your mother's sauce again, you know, it brings you right back to your childhood. And every place we go to, everything we eat, you know, has this particular smell. And I mean, the senses is why we do what we do, where we go back, you know, and what
1: are all these things doing? They're evoking emotion. Exactly. Yeah. When I stepped out of the airport in Liberia and smelled that air, it was not a conscious expectation. But when I took that first breath of Costa Rican air again, I immediately recognized the scent, even though I never visited that part of the country. Mm. It smelled the same, and it was a smell I didn't realize I would, have, would remember. Right. And it was that initial moment where I'm like, wow, this is going to be something special.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I don't know, maybe looking back on your path and your journey of the industry and everything that you've done is there something that stands out the most that you'd like to talk about maybe for other cooks or other chefs?
1: In a wider scope, I would say that everyone is here for a very specific and powerful reason. It could be multiple things, but all of us are here with certain innate gifts and the ability to activate other gifts, right? Depending on our passion and, and, and all these things. So I think it's a matter of, you know, as cliche as it is finding out what that, what lights your heart on fire, what really, like you talked about, if if this is what you love, it's not about the money, it's about the experience, the creative moment, you know, that's the reward, that's the fulfillment. I would say, you know, again, as cliche as it is, find out what really sets you on fire and find a way to make that a viable way to live your life. And a lot of it is just surrendering, honestly. Like that, when we talked about uh, earlier, you know, I had that moment, should I just go back to work? Screw this, I'm crazy, this is silly. You know, all the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves all the time, um, whether we realize it or not. And I said, no, I said, I'm willing to kind of trust fall into this process because of how it felt, because I knew this was more about why I was here than running a hotel kitchen.
0: Right. like Something
1: a little more important I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah. So, well, so what was that feeling when you knew it felt right? It was just you felt balanced. You felt like yeah, you
1: felt very rooted, both rooted and and activated. You know, it's, it's a very you feel like the trust fall is going to work out. <laughs> well, you know what i mean yeah um
0: no, you're I do going know.
1: to be caught you're going to be supported there is mm. abundance waiting for you there is this beautiful unfolding that's waiting if you're brave enough to take those steps and really do so with like heart coherence with integrity with an understanding that
0: well and then when you did decide yesterday what you had mentioned to me is that you were a bit nervous about paying the bills but then she started getting one event and then all of a sudden more
1: shortly thereafter this or right at the crux of this surrender moment just enough was happening to help me take care of the people that i care about and and take care of my own you know situation it was limping along well enough but obviously that's not a sustainable position to be in right one it's got to move one way or the other yeah <laughs> so i was com- convinced that what I was doing was of of a, you know, a higher purpose without sounding too contrived about it. Due to that, I knew that things were going to um, manifest for me. That doesn't mean we sit back and we wait because we know that the universe is going to put an envelope in our mailbox with $2 million or a trip to Bali or, you know, whatever. That's not the kind of surrender I'm talking about. It's an active engagement in the process. You're willing the universe to respond to you because of how you're acting. You're Mm. compelling the universe to respond to you because of how you're holding yourself, how you're acting, and, you know, just how you're going about your life, how you're treating people. You know, karma for lack of a better word.
0: You had been saying that I think a big, for me, like listening to you and talking about like you coming full circle, when you were working in, you know, as a chef in the hotel, you weren't treating yourself really with respect in the sense of like taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, that's fair to say. And I don't know how many chefs actually do.
0: (laughs) Right.
1: You know, like we talked about the excessive amount of stress and anxiety and all the things, you know, how many of of us are waking up and and drinking uh, green juice and, Going for a jog and and, and uh, whatever you know, finding that some quiet time during the day, and, right? And taking enough time away, you know, that whole work-life balance, so to speak, and all these things, you know, like not—it's a very small percentage. <laughs> and I would, I would even dare to say that the ones who are engaging in that are are not, you know, pushing themselves as hard as they could be in that given moment either. So it's it's a very interesting dance.
0: Well, but because now you have your own company now you see that wait i should be treating myself better or i will buy myself this or yeah and it's not about spoiling myself
1: you know what i mean it's no. not like oh now i can whoop-de-woo and all these things it's it's oh my health that i've been ignoring for the 27 years that i've been working kitchens <laughs> running on <laughs> adrenaline and coffee um and then whiskey and then back to coffee and blah 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 and whatever um you know and just it eating by picking throughout the day and not really having a proper meal you know we've seen the pictures of, of cooks and chefs you know crouched behind the line smashing a bowl of what have you in their face so they can serve a you know a sixty dollar entree a uh, hundred times over the next three hours you know it's it's a very sacrificial dynamic um and and uh it's very hard to not adapt some of those tendencies in that environment
0: i agree no that's true well because you have limited time or you have this list of things to do i mean there's so many
1: because you're not important Mm. what's important is the kitchen's running properly and people are getting fed as they should be
0: Mm. right Uh, yeah i mean i focus on my assistants uh did you get your break so that they can punch in and punch out but meanwhile where's my break right (laughs) and and
1: again you know that we've talked about the other kinds of chefs who maybe are a little more selfish and then maybe don't treat their staff, you know, but I was always in doing it by example. You know, I was always showing, I, you know, I would literally clean floor drains, you know, and this is within the last handful of years of running kitchens. I would literally not, not all the time, but just to show my staff that I was willing to do it because it needed to happen. And if I was willing to do it, then you are willing to do it and mm. should be, capable and able when the time comes.
0: Yeah. I just think it's interesting to talk to other chefs and, you know, everyone gets inspired in different ways and we do what we do for different reasons. You know, the kitchen uh, is a part of my life and it's been a part of yours. Thank you so much, chef, for being here and taking the time to talk to me.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate the, uh, the invite and being able to um, share for whatever it's worth
0: so if people are interested in signing you up or booking you for events how can they find you
1: yeah thanks so I have a, a website uh, Bonmese, bonmez b-o-n-m-e-e-z com, and uh, I also have an Instagram account same name and, and Facebook
0: as well <laughs> perfect thank you so much Chef and thank you everybody for listening until next time I'm Chef KB and this is an episode of Cat the Baker Please join me on Instagram at ChefKB or on YouTube at Kathy Baker.